1: I'm your host, Sinai Flarry and on today's episode, I'm joined by an absolute living legend. He's an entrepreneur, chef, musician, and broadcaster, and many other things. I'm so happy to be joined by the one and only Levi Roots. Hi, Levi, how are you?
2: I'm good, thank you, Sinai. Thank you so much for having me. It's, I'm really looking forward to this chat.
1: Wonderful. Now, Levi, let's start right at the beginning. Like, tell people a little bit about yourself and, um, you know, your backgrounds and how you became interested in cooking.
2: Well, I, I grew up in a typical um, Clarendonian family from, from Clarendon. I was born in a small village called Owls Content, which is just outside of Napen, um, the capital of Clarendon, as we like to call it. Um, very poor family. Um, in, in the sort of 60s, um, when, you know, Jamaicans was being offered to come to the UK to help to fix the UK just after the war in, in in 1945. And the country was in a terrible state and they needed skilled workers. So I like to look at my parents and people of that generation as one of the first entrepreneurs that Jamaica ever sent out to the world and perhaps some of our greatest minds, because these were builders. And there's a great song, you know, that says, you know, people are builders, you know, with their tools that they were given. And these workers were predominantly country, country people who had the skills, you know, working in the farms and stuff like my father and my mom, you know, from Clarendon were that took up the first opportunities to come to the UK. And um, of course, you were, all the kids were left behind with the grandmas and it was up to the grandmothers and the grandparents, not just the grandmothers, the grandparents, to be able to bring up the kids. And of course, I was left behind with my grandma. Her name was Miriam. And, um, We didn't have much. I I suppose the only thing that she really had and that she knew was how to cook and how to look after these five children that she was left with. Um, All of a sudden, when my mom and dad went to the UK, she was left with this, you know, with five children. And the only thing that she could do as a woman then was just to teach us the stuff that she knew um, as a as a woman back then in, in, the, 60s, in the 60s and 70s. And um, the main thing that she knew was how to cook and was how to be able to make these wonderful relishes or sauces, whatever she called it back then. It wasn't called sauce, it was, it was more of a relish. That you could, we always add the yams, the potatoes, the bananas and all the sort of provisions of the food that My grandfather would grow out in the back, in the backyard, you know, the ackee tree. Everything was there, But the only thing that we couldn't afford was the other things to make the meal a rounded meal. Um, but my grandma was just great at just making these sauces without meat you know just using herbs and spices and a little bit here and a pinch of this day that we all grew in the garden anyway and by the time you put that onto the the provision of the green bananas and your yam and everything else that you grew anyway it felt like you was having an absolutely (laughs) um, heavenly meal just by what she could do with these simple herbs and, and spices and that's what she was good at and For me, it was great that I was the youngest, so I I got the longest of times with her because it was always the youngest that was last to come over because your parents didn't want a young child in the UK. They were too busy working three or four jobs to be able to do it, and the other elder kids need to go up to go to school to be able to go through education, to be able to quickly leave education and then help the family. That was the way it was back then. So the youngest one I always get left behind underneath the grandmother's frock tail of and that, that was me. And um uh, but learned everything that she could throw at me, you know, through her knowledge about food. And I, I watched and I I took in absolutely everything and loved everything, every song that she sang, you know, being part of the Baptist church in our content. Um every musical note that she ever sang to me as a child stayed with me until eventually it was my time to leave her and it was perhaps the saddest part of my life ever to leave this wonderful woman who was mother, father, you know, um, cock and hen and everything to me um, as, as a child and then having to leave her and, and come to this new country, which I I did ask to come here. Nobody I didn't even look at me and says, young man, do you really want to leave this beautiful woman and this idyllic paradise of a, a place that you were with every tree has fruits on it and every rivers of jumping fish and everything as it was back there. Nobody asked me if I wanted to leave but um, I, I did have to pull myself away from her but I, I took everything that I could of that knowledge of the food and the songs and the stories and the and Nancy's stories and everything that she brought me up on and, and I think that's what made me into the man who I am today.
1: Yeah it's so wonderful to hear you speak about your grandmother and your grandparents and how their influence has really just like you said made you into the man that you are you're a musician you're a chef and it's just like hearing you speak about your grandmother I I can imagine you in the kitchen and and seeing her humming around making her sauces it's it's really really a fascinating upbringing that you've had. Um, Talk to me about where you are now because you do so many things like I mentioned a musician a broadcaster you have your own radio show um you know you're an entrepreneur you have countless products as well in the supermarket um what's your secret to success I know it's a lot of hard work but how do you function every day and manage to still do every single thing so well
2: each person's secret to success will be different because you will be surrounded by different people and different scenarios. So your journey, it, it is all about you. So minds won't be like anybody else, but I think it could inspire others. And I think the, 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 the key part of my story and the reasons how I managed to do that is to be very resilient and being able to adapt, be adaptable to change. Um, and I'm having to learn that in the latter part of my life because as, as a Jamaican and as a Caribbean person and as a Rastaman also, it didn't allow me to change um, because, you know, you always be singing the same song, you know, as Bob Marley say, it's always about redemption songs. Um, mm-hmm. And that's how I grew up with that attitude towards me. And it wasn't until when I... I, I I sort of became the new Levi Roots, I suppose. When I got educated myself, I had to go through prison at Her Majesty's pleasure and everything to be able to come outside to be able to see some other light than what I, light than what I was seeing when I was growing up as, as a Rastaman via that way. And it was a discovery at a at later part of me that I needed to change. You know, you, you have to change from where you're coming from because your journey may have ended there, you know, where you know, you'd come to. And if you don't discover the new you at such a point when you get there, then you'll always be going through shallows and in miseries. You will never get your tide that will be big enough to take you off your desert island and and swoop you straight into paradise where, where, where you where you want to be. If you don't recognize the tide when it comes and the tide is always rocky and rough. So sometimes you don't even recognize it. So it's that change you have to recognize that you need to change. You have to be susceptible to change. You have to be like a bit like a chameleon lizard. You know, the one that when it's on the thing and no matter where it's from, it just blends in and you can't see like like that. That's how we needed to be after what I knew, what we went through as a people. And we, you know, Rasta always teach you that you're living in Babylon and his imperial majesty had said that when you're in Babylon, you need to be able to function um, as not like them, but, but as a part of the system. His Imperial Majesty said that. Otherwise, you need to get yourself out of there. Unfortunately, some of us can't do that. So we have to be able to blend in and be able to function. And when my time came, that all of a sudden I was usurped into, you know, into a position of having these great people like, you know, Peter Jones and, you know, doing all kinds of different things with business people that I could never have dreamt that. All of a sudden, I was in it. Maybe I was thought that it could have taken you years and you think, yeah, you believe it and you've worked hard and you've learned to get there. But for me, it was just, boom, all of a sudden, you're you're there. And when you're there, you have to perform. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's ejection straight away because these people that you know knowing it's not going to take you if you're not the real deal, that they had believed you who, who you to be. Um, so it's having to be able to change and to be able to fit into that room and I'd be able to get there with these business people. When I'm talking to the chief of Sainsbury's, that could make you as somebody who's making a sauce in your kitchen and the second biggest, you know, um, supermarket in the whole country. You know, you're talking to the chief of the head of the man and you've only just been in the business for a few weeks. You have to be able to change from being the Rastaman that was on the streets of Brixton back then and a, a hustler and a do all type of things and all these things to being the person who this man expect you to be. So is, is that what I learned. And I think that's my greatest message that I can give to people. If your aim is to be at the top, at the very top, you have to believe that those people that's going to be in there is not going to be someone like yourself. It's not going to have the knowledge where you are. You have to be able to step up to where they are, still be you, but function you know, into the way that you can be able to feel comfortable with them where
1: they are. Wow, a word. I hope people are, are taking notes. I'm like absorbing everything you said. And the thing that I love about what you said there is, you know, you have to be able to change, you have to adapt. But what I love about you is that you've always stayed true to your roots. <laughs> and um, you know, you haven't shied away from who you are. And that's what I love. You know, when we look at the Levi Roots um products, you know, there's the red, gold, and green colors there that represent you as a Rasta man. There's the picture of you with your locks that represent you. And I think that's what we love most about you, Levi, is that you haven't changed for anybody and that you you represent I mean, yourself.
2: So, you know, I think Sinai is that realization that you are valuable, you know, that, that that it's the you that people are invested in. But you have to be the best of you. You can't be any old you. So, when I'm saying to be yourself, I'm not saying be the you that if you get up on you and do the same thing. I'm saying be that best person that even you would invest in you. And you shock when you're over above yourself and you look down and you think you say, i of mercy, I need that. <laughs> and you, you really. really That's the change that I'm saying that you have to be able to go through, and and when you recognize that, that's when you can be able to sell yourself. That I was saying to myself, I'm not selling the sauce. That's not what I want people to, you know, these newfound mainstream people that the Dragons didn't allow me to be able to be in front of once I was on the show. I was saying I do not want them to buy reggae reggae sauce. I want them to buy Levi Roots, (laughs) because that will give me an opportunity to be. Inside their front rooms, in so to speak, and not just them staying there using my product and don't care about who makes it. Like a lot of brands that we, that we buy, that doesn't have a personality there in front of it. It's just a product and we use it and we don't really care about it. I wanted them to care about the person who's actually making the sauce for them so that they can invest not just in the sauce, but invest in, in Levi's as well.
1: Absolutely, well said. And I mean, let's talk about like your daily habits. Um, You know, what are some of the key things that you do every single day that you would encourage somebody else to do to sort of get them through the day to day to get them to be the best version of their self? What are some of your tips? Well, you know, I give
2: thanks that, you know, the Lord blessed me that when I was of age, you know, I would have loved to have, have all this when I was younger and in my 30s and that sort of stuff like that age or, you know, things in a in a different way. But I was blessed in my latter years. I was in Jacksonville when I was 48. So that means I had a, a lot of knowledge behind me. Um, so I was managed to be able to, can, you know, to keep myself steady when moments got rocky, as as they always do. Mm -hmm. but my method is always to keep fit because i came in latter at the age of 48 so my routine involves about the body about when i say to be the best of you that's also about looking after the self as well to um doing everything else and looking after the business so it's really important for me to be able to to get up every morning and feel that i have serviced that Levi Ruth that i'm that I want to sell to the others. I don't just regard myself as that commodity that you just say, okay, just do your thing. No, I, I try to stay fit. I eat healthy. Um I look after my body and I make sure that that is my temple. That I have this thing as saying your health is your wealth. It's not about the money that you have in the bank or whatever. Because mm-hmm. if you're not healthy, then all oh, that doesn't mean anything at all. And if you're not healthy you cannot be there for your family and for And frankly, so with all the fandangles around you, the main thing for me is to keep my body fit. So when you say when I get up in the morning, how, you know, how does my mindset is the first thing is so that I can keep my body fit and keep well and and keep well. And I think that should go for anybody within business. because again, as I say, the investment is within you, the person, not within the product.
1: Yeah well said now i wanted to touch on um uh, like you mentioned you know you appeared on dragon's den in your late 40s and you did have some challenging times you was selling your reggae reggae sauce at the notting hill carnival i actually remember seeing you on a number of years and i, I did buy some sauce from you when you were, when you had your stall at the carnival and one thing that i found out was that you know, you you was doing your source for a long time, and and you wanted investment, you wanted backing, but you was told that the reggae reggae source sounded and looked too black. Tell us about that challenging time and how you overcame that.
2: Well, I mean, when I look back at the time, it, it, if if I had seen a rastaman who who I knew was in the music and I knew he was it was pretty successful to the type of music that I listened to and 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 I and I liked, that. then all of a sudden I see. Him, come outside of that and started to try to sell me a sauce. And I was a Caribbean person. I can make my own sauce already. I perhaps wouldn't be encouraging him to, to be able to do that. So I, I kind of understood what my local people were saying when I just come from out of the music that they knew me for. And as a member of Sir Cox's Sound. I was born with Luciana, whoever's you know name that you can mention within the music business you know, Levi was, was up there doing his stuff with them. And all the of a sudden, here I was to these people in Brixton, my local Brixton, tried to sell them a sauce, and, and it just wasn't happening. And I said to me, Levi, no, man, why well don't sell we a drink or something like that, that? We can drink it straight away. We're well, not a sauce that we have to go and go cook with it. Mm-hmm. Because we know Caribbean people, we make all our sauces ourselves, but we cook and use our own ingredients. And I was I was thinking fastly that I'm a Caribbean person, great. I've got a Caribbean sauce, I've got a ready-made market because these pure Caribbean people live where I live. And it took me a while to wake up to think that that was the wrong science when you're thinking of of doing business, that you need to find your market. It's not necessarily the ones who are in front of you with the market for the product that you have. And it wasn't because of rejection by my own people that just said, they're not buying it. The stars just wasn't going well for me. I'd spend all the money that I'd made originally for selling it, up, you know, local. Um, and then I realized that I need to get out of the area and, and find my, my market. And um, I decided to go into the English countryside because I, I realized not all because of rejection of local people. It wasn't because they didn't, like who I was, or didn't like the sauce. It was just that they made their own sauce. Mm-hmm. So I had to find a market that didn't make Caribbean sauce. And for them, it was strange to see a Rasta man tell a story with his guitar, a singer's song. And on top of that, the product was good as well. too. So, in some ways, you know, that is the archetype for less than I think for a lot of small mediums right now. That you, you may be struggling and you're, and you're wondering why your product is good. You are good as a salesman and you're, you're still failing you're still like I was. But the point is, I didn't really look at the market and say that that's not my market. I need to find this niche of a market who who, who identifies with my product. But also, it's not too saturated with other products. And that's why I would mainstream with it. Yeah, amazing.
1: And I mean... As as a such a successful entrepreneur, um, what are some of the key skills? We're seeing more people turn into business, more young people turn into business, and more people from, from the black community turn into business and, and opening up, you know, online businesses, opening up, you know, stores and stuff like that. What are some of the key skills you think we need to have to be a success?
2: Well, I think most of us already have some of that. that. I think we are great entrepreneurs as a team. We're great selling business. We love to sell things. You know, it's just, it's, you know for me, that's a, a wonderful skill to have because as an entrepreneur, I think that is the main skill you need to have in, in the band. you know, is out to sell whatever you have. So I don't think there's a problem there. And if you're starting out in business, I think you will have to know that that is a skill you need to have. But I think what needs to be done is to work on the product idea and the business side. Uh, we are great hustlers, as I used to be, and, and it came to be something that helped me in the end, anyway. But hustling is different from business, It's absolute, and the mentality of of having that sort of long term thinking way was something that was big for me in my change from becoming somebody who was a hustler on the street somebody now who had to wait around for the product. Mm-hmm. Is is a totally different science, and it took me a long time to get used to that. But that, it, as a business, I think, and often, that is the big two difference with it, because you're assured when you wait around for it, and you don't gamble with your own money that you've worked, worked hard for. You make calculated risks, mm-hmm. and that's different from, from gambling. It's like, you know, somebody don't just see your ass and say, oh, I like the game, but I'm, I'm going to put the businessman will make the calculated risk. you will try to find out who the trainer is, who's the damn, you know, who's the artist's father, it doesn't matter what they do before and all this. And then he probably put edge head. And that's a bit like a entrepreneur. So it just have that thought process and thinking of of how, how how do other people survive in this particular market? Because each market is different. But at the end of the day, that science of being a business person, that thinks long term, I think goes across all business, and, and that's a crucial tool to have in your bank. It's that like thought process.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, Levi, I know you're always so busy. What do you do to relax?
2: You None know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: you know,
2: you know, in the kitchen is perhaps I, is, is where I I try to spend a lot of my time because I I love it in the kitchen. I'm always creating. I I, I'm so lucky to have written, I think, um, seven cookery books um, so far, um, and and it's great when I when I get it and I and I, it's a bit like music. I think for me, creating recipes is like music. It went first love, and I love to pick up the guitar and work on the chords and the notes and to write the lyrics for the song and let go in the studio and put it together. And it's the same process when I'm, when I'm doing food. I love to have a lot of ingredients in front of me and then work out what can I, what can I create today. Um, and, and then, you know, put the pieces together of it and then to find a mix. is it, when you look at it and you, you think, wow, amazing. And then you you keep on. So that's what I spend a lot of my time, time do, And it's part of the business process. Mm-hmm. um because new products is always something that we're working on and so um i tried that's why i have to keep so fit because i do eat a lot <laughs> <laughs> because the, the kitchen is my favorite place
1: oh okay i was gonna ask you i was like do you take do you taste every single thing that you cook um
2: that's a good point actually no i i, I don't think it's necessary for for that because a lot of food that. Chefs do cook is something that you do time and and time again, and if that process is there and you've done it so many times, for instance, if I'm cooking rice and peas or something, that, ah, I don't need to taste my rice and peas, you know. That you know, if I'm cooking any one of the great Caribbean dishes, you know, I can fact you know the ones them that you've, you've done and they're part of you, you are your makeup and your gender, I I don't think that um, you, you know you really need to to, to, to taste that. Well, I don't anyway. Um, Yeah, it's it's just something that you do and it's a skill that that you you have.
1: Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, you know, when you're cooking, like, do you measure your seasoning or is it just you just sprinkle until that's enough? (laughs) I I think it's a good
2: thing for people to say, you know, you you sprinkle and that's enough because of just what I said before, if you have been doing it a long time, Mm. you, you should do. But I think when you are... In a restaurant, if you're cooking for, for other people and you're cooking for the masses and you're working, I think you really do have to look at your measurements in, in this sort of way, because you can't afford to get it wrong. But when you're at home and you're flipping and you're doing and you're doing all your tactics, you know, then then it's fine when the meal is for you. But I do think when, when you've got the responsibility, as, as chefs ask, one of the most difficult jobs is when you are actually feeding people, especially Caribbean people. i am got to say to you, Sinai, where they love their food and they're passionate about it's going to taste like oh, their grandmas make it. And you're mm. thinking, like, I never knew your grandma. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's,
2: it's, it's a job that you cannot afford to just throw things around. You really mm-hmm. have to make sure you're picked up.
1: Yeah. Now, in recent years, there's been like a new surge in interest in people going vegan or plant-based. Of course, you know, people from the Caribbean and people from the Rasta community know it as ITAL food. Are there any plans for you to do maybe a completely ITAL vegan cookery book?
2: I I would love to do that. I've been campaigning with my publishers, you know, for donkey's years now to to do a ITAL, ITAL book, or even a vegetarian book, which is slightly different. Mm-hmm. But they just won't have it. You know, it's, it's difficult for mainstream publishers to to want to do that those types of things because the sales for them is just not there because they know that if they do a book about meat, you know, the sales straight away is astronomical. And I never knew that book sells as much, so it actually does until I have got into, into the art of writing cookery books. But it, it is fascinating. But it's just difficult to find a publisher who will actually want to do something like that. I, I think a self-published one is something that I've been thinking of doing, and maybe in the next couple of years uh, would be something that I'd, I'd love to do and, and self-publish it myself. But at the moment, with the publishers that I'm with, uh, an ITAL, a strictly ITAL book is is not for them. But as I said, I've got my high, because um, I am working on a, a Levi Roots movie, and I think that would be a fantastic thing when, when, when that comes out in a couple of years. So um, alongside that would be an, an ITAL recipe.
1: Right. Levi, did you just give away a secret? A Levi Roots movie is in the works. Yeah. What, yeah, what, it's what? in the
2: works. Yeah.
1: Oh, my gosh, I'm excited. What else can you tell us without telling telling too much? What can you tell us about the film?
2: Well, I've got the script here now, which is like me with this, like, an amazing thing. I can't even believe it. And I, I was just in Jamaica. I just come back a couple of weeks ago you know, laying on fantastic seven miles beach of the grill. And my job was to be there just laying down reading this fantastic, unbelievable script. Um, you know, and it's just an amazing thing to do. Uh, as you can imagine uh, your life coming my life coming from as a young boy, you couldn't even read or write when I made that journey from Canada to, to the UK. And to be saying now, a, a multi-million-pound movie gonna be made about my life is just something that I can't stop smiling about. But yeah, the story will be about 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 my life story, Um it will begin from as I says humble beginnings in in Jamaica, uh, and coming to the UK, and then my dragons then exploit, and then the sources. Um, and, and everything else that goes into that, and the music and, and all that. So, really, really, really excited about that. Um, as I said, the script is ready again now, I'm so we're looking forward to perhaps filming in the in the new year. And um, yeah, there has been some press about it so far, but I'm sure um, you know more interest will come as we go along.
1: Absolutely, I'm excited. I mean, you have such an incredible story, and I feel like it's one that a lot of us can relate to the story of coming from the Caribbean to the UK and and also being left with um your grandmother that's something that resonates with me because my mum was raised by her grandparents because my her parents came and left her so it's it's a familiar story it's one that we buy into and it's one that we will support definitely congratulations and I can't wait to see it
2: Thank you, thank you very much.
1: Okay, and Levi, I mean, before you go, what's next for you? You mentioned the movie, have you got anything else lined up for the rest of 2021 and going into the new year?
2: Well, we talked about that thing about being resilient about earlier when I said it's an absolute essential tool for the entrepreneur to have to be able to chop and change and whatever room you find yourself in, whatever company that you find yourself with, you have to be able to get relate for them to be able to relate to you. And as for the future, I think for the first time in in the human being's life, we are not so sure about what the future can bring. Mm -hmm. Um, There are no plans that you can look at ahead like, you know, a few years before you could actually look at charts or whatever you've done before within your business uh, plan and be uh, absolutely be sure of what's going to happen within the next two years, three years. What sales and what opportunities that that there are going to be business business run their lives on on, on on those algorithms. But because of COVID and what's happening over the past 18 months, it's very difficult for anybody, especially when you're selling something to the public. Your whole attitude to how you get it out to the public has to change or you can't make any long-term plans. So for us it's a great thing that we're doing food because that's something that my mother always said even before I got into business. She say, if it's something you have to we'll do, food, clothes and shelter. <laughs> um, <laughs> because that's something that's always needed and we're so lucky that you now right. we don't and I I cry for a lot of people that was into restaurants and to see them. Out of business and even i had a restaurant that you know went went by that kind of wayside because of the situation that's going, that's going on so it teaches me not to plan too far ahead for the moment and just concentrate to what you have and yeah. for us is the sauces and the drinks and the that, those sort of stuff that we are doing that people can reach to or we can send through them via you know via amazon or wherever they're going to get their they their get their products those are doing fantastic so um so my mind is not thinking too far ahead of Panama about getting to restaurants or anything like that. For the moment, But people can watch this space, but the film is the, for me, the film is the future. For the next two years, the Levi Roots movie is whatever. Well, one would be of course the, the first thing in my head the morning i wake
1: up <laughs> oh i'm so excited and i mean i i can't leave without asking you this important question you know this is a podcast series to celebrate um jamaicans friends of jamaica in the diaspora what do you most love about being jamaican
2: i think it's that there's a word that I'm going to use, and most Jamaicans will know it, but there's a lot of people that
1: probably won't, won't
2: do it. Hopefully, people will, will research it. It's, it's talawa. Talawa. You say that we with little, Is 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 um is a very old word that, that we use, and, and talawa means that what we've talked about before, you're resilient, you are strong you can overcome anything that you that you're throwing at you. But at the same time, you're bossy as well too, because you love who you are. And that's what gives Usain Bolt, the, 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 that vibe to be able to be standing and about to run the greatest hundred meters of all time. And everybody else is quaking in their boots, you know, and frightened to hell. When you look at this man, he's throwing kisses to the girls, he's doing his boat thing and his, the attitude. There is absolutely no other nation in the world would have that bravado, that talawa, that attitude to make them at Jamaica. And I think when I stood up in front of the Dragon's then, in front of the Dragon's Den, knowing that nobody else had ever sang on the show and everybody who had ever mentioned that I was going to go on the show had said to me, Levi, don't take the guitar. Just go as a businessman, like, oh, it, you know, the other people over the years have done on the show and, you know, you will get your blessing that way. But I wanted to, to, to be that Jamaican and use that talawa, you know, that resilience to be able to be you as a person, you know, and still capture that moment. So I, I think, you know, as a Jamaican, that's my proudest thing, my proudest part of the culture. Um, that I take, you know, that, that you take wherever you go and you travel as a Jamaican, that part of the heritage that you own that no one cannot take away from you. Whether you live in Jamaica now or whether you are part of the diaspora that left a thousand years ago and you've probably never been back. But your belly string and your and and your everything tie and bury in a Jamaica because that that's your country. That is the talawa where what makes you who you are. So if I take anything away whenever time I travel, and what I want to give back is by expressing that talawa and then hopefully people will adhere towards it. So that's that's my Jamaicanism.
1: Absolutely love it. Uh, Levi Roots, thank you so much for taking time out to speak to me today on Impacting Jamaica, Boosting the Nation, celebrating extraordinary Jamaicans here and abroad and at home also. It's been an honour to speak to you and I wish you all the best for the future. And thank you for just being you, Levi, here in in the UK. Let me tell you this, um, we don't see many people like yourself um, achieved such greatness and that are so down to earth and so humble you are a role model you are an inspiration and we absolutely love you so thank you so much for everything that you're doing and all the doors you are opening for the next generation of entrepreneurs black entrepreneurs Jamaican entrepreneurs Caribbean entrepreneurs we salute you Thank you Sianai
0: Impact in Jamaica is powered by the Philip and Christine Gore Family Foundation Manpower and Maintenance Services Limited Red Stripe